This is episode number nine with Ted Rice. Welcome to the Life Optimized Show, where every week you'll hear fascinating and introspective conversations with inspiring thought leaders from all around the world to help you optimize your business, leadership, and life. Now, here's your host, Dev Singh, international executive, business, and leadership coach, and self-professed philosopher and examiner of what makes the most optimized people in the world tick. Hey, everybody. That's right, we have a new intro to the show. I really thought about what inspired me to use the initial piece that I had of music. If you go back to the earlier episodes, you'll notice it's very different. I realized I was really inspired by two podcasts that really inspired me to start this show, which is The School of Greatness with Lewis Howes and Trip Lanier's The New Man podcast. And they've kind of got this, you know, real hardcore rock kind of music going off kick in with really high energy and after a few episodes and especially after recording this particular episode I kind of asked myself well you know is this really my vibe is it really my style maybe it is maybe it isn't I like the music I like the intro but then after pondering and contemplating what I realized was hey it's my show I can do whatever I want (laughs) so you know I'm just having to play with it Uh, let me know if you like this uh, tune better if you like this kind of jazz funky town groove and uh, you know I may change it in the future again all right for now um, I'm really excited to introduce this particular episode uh, as um, as as happy funky as this uh, int- new intro tune is the episode itself was pretty pretty intense to record you know what we're just gonna dive right in and you're gonna see exactly why very quickly very early on in the episode hi everyone I'm really humbled today to have Ted Rice on the show. Mr. Ted Rice is uh, not somebody I've had the privilege of meeting in person yet. He's uh, actually sitting in Miami right now, and he's been very, very generous to come on the show because I feel um, I, I came across Ted listening to another podcast that I listened to, and his story really moved me, very humbled me, and it, it really gave me um, a sort of a rejuvenated sense of uh, purpose for having the kind of conversations that I've, I've been sharing on the show. And there have been a lot of guests on the show that have talking about personal traumas and hardships and overcoming them and having resilience. But uh, Ted's story is something that, you know, a lot of people um, may find really difficult to relate to because there is just so much depth and richness to it. But there's really, it's, it's about what's on the other side of that trauma that is truly inspiring and what's on the other side of going through something that could potentially destroy you or at the very least, even if you overcome it, it ends up defining a lot of people. Um, I've had a couple of traumas like that as well in my life, and nothing as dramatic, uh, dare I say, as uh, what you've been through, Ted. But I think, you know, I've always believed that um, it's never fair to compare anyone's trauma against anyone else's, uh, no matter how dramatic or how, um, you know, extreme it, one may seem compared to another. Everybody sort of has their own uh, experiences of suffering. Everybody has their own experiences of pain. And at the end of the day, this idea that we go through hardships and we break down and then we rebuild ourselves is actually a universal experience. Not everybody goes through the same extent of it. And, you know, without sounding uh, pretentious, uh, you know, not everybody has the, uh, the privilege or the support or the blessings of uh, perhaps the kind of support systems that you've had to overcome what you've had to overcome. But at the same time, I know a lot of people who are going to be listening to this are going to be really inspired, really touched, of course. But uh, my purpose for inviting you on the show 
is not just to tell a juicy story, um, because I think that would be quite uh, disrespectful. And, and, you know, I hope um, you can appreciate that there is a lot of value in this. And I'm not going to I'm not going to actually introduce you and your story, because I think it would be only fair if you uh, tell it yourself. Uh, but I will say that uh, you actually have a very interesting uh, personality outside of uh, the particular story that uh, touched me as well that I'm referring to. And you're an accomplished martial artist, you're a personal trainer. Uh, you have been the host of the Alpha Fit uh, Life podcast, which I think may be changing soon. I've been seeing some stuff on your Facebook, uh, but we'll, we'll talk about that if it comes up. Uh, and you know, using exercise and nutrition principles, you've, you've learned from extensive study, but you've gone through your own physical transformation, which I'm always really fascinated about because health and fitness is something that I'm very passionate about as well. Um, and also very interesting being based in Miami Beach, you've uh, you know, had the privilege of uh, actually coaching, training uh, some really interesting celebrities, Ricky Martin, Robert Downey Jr., uh, and then CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, uh, you know, professional amateur athletes and, and a range of other everyday people as well. So, Ted, just, you know, I want to re-emphasize the point. I'm, I'm really humbled to have you on the show. Uh, thank you so much for uh, this opportunity. And I know that you've been, you've been actually doing a lot of interviews at the moment as well. So I'd like you to introduce yourself, um, introduce, you know, the story, uh, if we will. And I'm also quite curious to ask, even before that, uh, what actually inspired you to not just come on this show, but having noticed that you've been doing a lot of interviews, talking about your story a lot, uh, what inspired you to start doing that? Sure. Well, uh, thank you, Deb, for having me on the show. Uh, as far as you want me to go into what the story is first? It's up to you. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. As Deb said, my goal is to help you. There, there is a positive message behind what the outcome of this story, like Dev said, but it's a really difficult story. So I'll just get into it. Uh, on September 11th in 1995, my nine-year-old brother, uh, I was 19 at the time, but my nine-year-old brother was kidnapped at gunpoint from his bus stop, which was just a block away from my house where I lived at the time. And he was kidnapped at gunpoint. He was taken to a trailer by this guy. Uh, he was a 28-year-old guy. Not that it, maybe just to paint the picture, uh, he took my brother to a trailer, an abandoned trailer about a mile away. He raped him. He psychologically tortured him. And when I say that, what I mean is my brother asked him, are you going to kill me? Are you going to let me go? And to that, he replied, what do you think? So he wouldn't give my brother a clear answer. And during this time, while all this was, this was happening over a period of hours, and during that time, there were helicopters searching for my brother. I was at my house. My parents came home from a trip. We got the police looking for him because uh, at first the, the police tried to say that, oh, well, he just ran away and he's going to come back later. And that wasn't in my brother's character. We knew something was wrong right away when he didn't show up at home for his piano lesson. And so back to the trailer, as uh, the helicopter was flying over and 
that individual is trying to figure out what to do with my brother, uh, my brother decided to make a run for it. Even at nine years old, after being raped, after being in fear for his life, he had the courage to try to get home after all those hours of pain and humiliation. And as he did that, that person, uh, for lack of a better term, <laughs> pulled out a gun and shot him as he ran away. And he walked over to my brother's body as he was breathing out his last breath and he put his ear close to his mouth to hear that dying last breath. And the reason why I know that much detail is because that's what came out of his confession. And I'm telling you this now uh, as it happened very quickly, but that happened all on that day, September 11th, 1995. But it was a three month search for my brother before we actually found out what happened to him. For three months, the FBI, the local homicide department, the FBI is, uh, uh, was searching for him, the local homicide department in Miami was searching for him. We were searching in all different places. We got all these different leads. None of them panned out. Then three months later, a woman who had some jewelry missing went in. She had a person working for her. She had a, a house very close to my house, the same uh, about a mile away. And she had someone working for her on her property and he lived on a trailer on her property and she was missing some jewelry and she went into that into the trailer to see if it was stolen and she didn't find her jewelry but she found my brother's book bag that he had with him as he was coming home from school that day and inside that book bag even more importantly inside that book bag was a missing children's poster of my brother. So it was something that we had put up later, obviously. It was much later, weeks later, uh, over a week or two later after he went missing. And there was that poster inside that book bag. And for any of you who are listening that aren't sure of the relevance, people like what this guy is and what he did people like that uh they he's a murderer <laughs> but in particular he's a sexual predator of children and what they like to do is to have trophies of their victims and what we believe was that book bag and that missing children's poster was the trophy that he took for taking my brother's life uh also important to mention is that when he, after my brother died, what he decided to do was to decapitate him and to cut off his arms and legs and to put him in flower pots full of cement to hide the body so he wouldn't be, so it would make it very difficult for anyone to ever find what happened to Jim 
ever find his body. And it probably would have worked had he not decided to take the the, the my brother's book bag and with the missing poster uh, of my brother in it. And so she found it back to that woman. She found that that book bag. She called the police. The police came out. They found the guy. Juan Carlos Chavez is his name. And they took him in for questioning. It wasn't it, it was a long questioning. It was hours long, but he broke down. He tried to he led people on several wild goose chases saying that he hit my brother and that he was in the canal. He put the body in the canal and he made up all these stories, but he eventually broke down and confessed what he did. And then he led the homicide department to the flower pots full of cement and the rest of my brother. So that happened uh, 19 years ago. Uh, last February, after 19 years of living with this and living with my brother uh, and what happened to my brother and also my, my stepmother uh, who passed away as well. And uh, my sister actually my sister that's a whole nother thing but she ended up taking her life uh a, a little over a year ago and uh after all this time after every all the tragedies that piece of shit juan carlos chavez was executed in february of this year 2014. my father and i uh had the I hesitate to call it the opportunity but we went and witnessed the execution. We had a front row seat to his execution and we watched him get put to death. And uh, we wanted to make, now it's a horrible story, but what we wanted to do was to promote awareness about these types of people. Because I think we live in a world right now uh, at least in the Western world, right? I mean, there's horrible things going on all in, in all different places, and there's some horrible things going on in the U.S. for sure. But for the most part, it's pretty good. You know, the life that we live is pretty good. And uh, what we wanted to do was to promote awareness about these types of people, because although there aren't a lot of them, if your child or your sibling, like in my case, gets abducted and raped and God forbid murdered, it will change how you view life, how you view yourself. And it'll, it'll, uh, you know, you said something earlier, Dev on letting it define you. Well, it has defined my life. It just hasn't defined it in a negative way, but it has something you're left with this energy from what happened. You're left with this tremendous energy, anger, sadness, despair, every emotion that you could ever dream up. And it, uh, you have to channel it into, you have to channel it into something. And a lot of people take a lot of different ways. What my parents did was they started the Jimmy Rice Center for Victims of Predatory Abduction, the Jimmy Rice Center for short. And uh, they, like I said, they brought awareness about sexual predators to uh, the 
to people and they also donate bloodhounds to law enforcement because the sensory abilities of uh, bloodhounds, they have 60 times more scent power of a German shepherd mm-hmm. and it's bloodhounds are the only dogs that can follow a human trail more than a few hours old. So we've done this. My parents met with two presidents and had laws changed all as a result of what happened to my brother. So, uh, like I said at the beginning, we have a very positive message, although the story is, uh, you know, is very difficult to listen to. I, I might, uh, uh, you know, I, I would imagine. Yeah, look, I mean, I've heard the story a few times now, um, just doing my research for this interview. Obviously, I heard it the first time that inspired me to get in touch with you, and then I heard it again a few times, uh, throughout other shows and I realized that every time you told that story that energy was still there it's not like you became desensitized to telling it and there's definitely something about listening to the story that I mean these things happen and, and it's not like um, and, and I say this with all you know complete respect um, it's not like Jimmy's case was the only one in the world right and I'm sure you acknowledge absolutely that, uh, objectively as well in fact there's a lot of cases going on all the time you know uh, uh, unfortunately it's it's uh, a lot more common than a lot of people would think it, it's clear that you have not become completely desensitized to this every time you tell the story you get emotional about it so what inspires you to keep telling the story yeah that's a great question and uh, Deb for a long time I was asked by people hey do you want to I was asked by local media mainstream media hey do you want to come and tell your story and I did not want to be defined by that. I didn't want other people to define me. Oh, there's Ted Rice. His brother was kidnapped and murdered and it was a big deal. And that's the bro- that's the brother. Yeah. I wanted to make my own way and to do things and accomplish things and also to emotionally mature because I don't know if I could have told that story before and set it in a way that would make a difference to people and to improve their lives or at least to provoke intelligent thought and to get people to at least think about things if not actually take some action either in their own lives or to improve the situation around them improve their family's life or community or to go follow a cause and uh, another reason why I tell it is uh, uh, so, so that's the re- big reason I want to inspire other people. I want to tell people you can overcome anything, right? And you said something before and that I agree with 100%. You know, uh, people all have their pain. It's and going through that pain is a universal part of what it is to be human. And yeah whether it's something as extreme as what I went through, whether it's not as extreme or whether it's more extreme, because unfortunately, you know, there are things that are more extreme than that, especially if you look at uh, something that happens to more people, right? And so the, the message is I overcame it and you can too. And it isn't fucking easy and it never will be. And like you said, Dev, the emotions never leave you, but you can channel them into something that makes a difference. It, 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 
you can channel it into something that makes a difference in your own life and you can which i think is a higher purpose a higher way of looking at things is to channel it into something that makes a difference in other people's lives and the third reason i would say is uh because i my family has a charity and we give it's an actual charity meaning we don't receive any money from it hmm. uh we donate bloodhounds to law enforcement officers which is part of how we took jimmy's legacy and made it mean something instead of just another sad story that people talk about we wanted to symbolize my father and i are, are the only ones left in my family we wanted to symbolize strength for people because uh although i can't speak for australians I've never been to the country. I'd love to go sometime. It's on my to-do list, but I can't speak for uh, what what goes on there. And you know, I'm very, uh, I'm very, uh, I guess, frustrated, saddened to hear that statistic you mentioned. But uh, I believe in the U.S. We're really suffering from a weakness, right? I think a lot of things, I think life is becoming easy here and that's a good thing in many ways. And I don't, I don't look at it necessarily as a very bad thing, but I, I think it's part of finding our way, uh, you know, st humanity stumbling along to, cause I really believe humanity is stumbling along to something better at all times. I really believe that. Uh, and, but at the same time, we've kind of gotten to this point where we're very weak. We, like you said, Dev, when something comes on the television that is very hard to listen to, like, oh, I don't, oh, that's horrible. Switch the channel, hmm. you know? And then we're laughing a couple minutes. It's like, we, we don't want to face those tough subjects. Yeah, or, or we do so, for a little while. It gives us an emotional spike. And then that's, uh, the, the, you know, there's a bit of an adrenaline rush. You feel connected to the world. Uh, people are, yeah, I'm a big advocate of uh, actually switching off from the news that's not the same as switching off from the world and what's happening in the world, uh, but just the way that the news is presented in mainstream media, as you alluded to, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not that it's as simple as it's sensationalized, it's that there are certain elements and aspects put forward in order to play on people's um, emotions as consumers, not as activists, not as participants to a global community but simply as consumers of entertainment, which really objectifies uh, stories like Jimmy's story, your story, um, you know, th things, certain things that I've been through, um, certain things that I've witnessed and experienced that have been uh, a little bit newsworthy. Uh, obviously, there's personal trauma, and then there's trauma that kind of, you know, transcends into a societal thing where a whole community uh, is affected, uh, in a sense. And then how, yeah, it really frustrates me how the, how the media plays to that and, and presents it in a way that, uh, you know, you have an option of watching a sitcom or here you have an option of watching reality television, basically. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I mean, we like to place blame in the media and they're definitely the easiest target. But uh, first of all, let me say that the media, the the local media helped us a lot. And again, I can only speak for what happens in America I, I'm not familiar with uh, what goes on in Australia, but the media uh, helped us a lot. So I can't throw them completely under the bus, but, uh, but at the same time, I agree with you. 
but it's an interesting question to ask is the media really forcing that stuff down our throat is it really shoving the negativity in our faces through our televisions or are we the ones who are just drawn to see it are we so out of control so asleep at the wheel that we don't think about what our actions are and it's curious to see uh when an accident i'm sure this happens in australia and all over the world again another universal thing mm -hmm. where you see a car accident and someone's been horribly mangled and people just slow down and just stare at the person and the crash and just to check it out and to see what happened they don't want to help <laughs> they don't want to uh, uh they don't want to do anything other than get that little shot of emotion like like you said before and uh I, i'm not saying and i'm not beating people up for doing that it's okay it's kind of like our default programming as human beings at least yeah. it seems to be right but at the same time we need to wake up and realize uh what we're being fed we need to take control of what we what information we let in our lives most of the world most of the western world not wealthy there's probably what one the wealthy one percent that uh everyone always talks about here mm -hmm. in the u.s i work with those people yeah okay a lot of people think that money is going to solve their problems it solves some problems but it will not solve uh your if you have if you're lost in your life if you don't have a purpose if you don't have these values if you're not gra if you're not grateful for what you have in your life i know miserable multi i know multi-millionaires who are miserable all the money that you anybody could ever want miserable and i know some people who are multi-millionaires and they're very happy you know so uh I, I'm with you on that. I'm all for capitalism. I think you can do a lot more good with a million dollars in the bank than a hundred, right? Even mm -hmm. if your goal was to give to charity. But uh, definitely, we need to define some values for ourselves. We need to find a sense of purpose. And uh, so, just wanted to agree with you there. Yeah, no, no. Well, I, I like the way that you put that. Uh, one of the greatest lessons in you know life optimization uh, that I've ever learned is that you can you can sit and, and whinge and moan and cry and beat about about how the world should be and it's not uh, or you can acknowledge what the world is the way the world is and that's and, and appreciate that that's not the same as accepting the way it is just because you acknowledge the reality of something doesn't mean that you need to put up with it or tolerate it or accept it but it it's, it's a lot more empowering to acknowledge that this is the way things are so I'm going to I'm going to be aware of the rules that I want to break or the rules that I want to play by and therefore have a lot more influence on the game as opposed to just constantly be focusing on you know what I wish things would be like instead and I think having experiences like yours both in terms of uh, Jimmy's story but also your experiences with working with clients um, whether they're celebrities or very wealthy people it, it just makes you appreciate that it's not that money doesn't buy you happiness. It's just that things are not so simple and black and white. So it, it gives you that Agreed. perspective. I was noticing yeah. something when you were telling the story as well, that there's a part of us, and this is something that you know comes up a lot in, um, in, in coaching and, and therapeutic modalities and neuro-linguistic programming 
um, where there's a part of our brain that switches off when it feels threatened by information that is just too overwhelming for our you know fundamental sensory perceptions to handle so sometimes when we hear a story that's really traumatic or we hear information that contradicts and conflicts with our belief system or the way that we see the world is supposed to work um, a part of our brain just switches off and we tune out and it makes me think in that context then when we have these kind of conversations what can we do to make sure that we're not just preaching to the converted so to speak what can we do to have this conversation and really take it out to people who you know haven't already switched off their brain because you know these are just two uh, hippie wankers talking about this stuff that you know is all anti-capitalism and everything even though we said that we're we're not anti-capitalist oh, i'm sure I'm there are people hippie. yeah neither am i <laughs> no so. hippie i watched a man be put to death and i was a hundred percent behind it and i do martial arts although i do eat organic dev do eat organic, although I'm not sure what that really means over here in the U.S. anymore. Uh, <laughs> That's it seems right. to be stricter everywhere else except here because some of the things you were talking about where marketing is really the driving uh, marketing and making money is really the driving forces behind things. Hmm. And uh, uh, before I answer that, I just wanted to share two quotes. Uh, one from an Indian man, uh, Gandhi, mm -hmm. said, be the change you want to be the change you want to see in the world. Yeah, and a lot of times we look at these horrible events, uh, and we don't know what to do. Oh, what can I do? You know, what can I do to affect that? How can how can me, who's a nobody, although we are all somebody, uh, you know, but I don't have any big show. I, I I'm not on TV. I'm no star. I'm not the uh, the the uh, you know the the politi uh, politician of some powerful country. What can I do? Well, it starts with changing yourself. And another quote that I love that's along the same lines is by Leo Tolstoy, mm -hmm. and he said, "Everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself." And that's just another quote that's on those lines. And I love quotes. And if you really think about what they mean and start to take action on them, you know, and start to change who you are, then you can change the world just by, by that. And to answer your question about the people who want to tune out just because they heard something that was extremely shocking to their worldview or their belief systems. Exactly. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm not really sure. I think that we all have our t I think we all have I may I may have been one of those people b before some of the things that I went through and you know who knows what wakes people up for me I, I've actually had a lot more happen in my life than just what happened to my brother uh, no need to go into it but uh, you know that helped but what about the people who don't want to to do that I, who just want to I will say that if you are not caring of, of other people or what goes on in the world, you're probably <laughs> you're probably playing the game of life at a very small level because we're all interconnected. You know, we uh, it, I, 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 that's not something I would encourage. I mean, we have to care about one another. I think I heard something of something that happened on in Australia where someone uh, the one bit of Australian news that I did get that right. was uh, a girl hit a bicycle a bicyclist 
and injured him badly and she was complaining about what happened to her car you know and uh mm. you know that that type of stuff obviously happens here but it's like i think a lot of the younger generation uh they don't know what to they're so desensitized uh with all the craziness going on you know i, I i'm not really sure how to answer that question but i think part of the the solution is definitely putting things out there like yourself with this podcast like what i do with my podcast and we're we have a good message and we're getting it out there and this would have never been possible 10 years ago 20 years ago definitely not possible you're going to go into and say that you want to start your own radio show no i mean you know i'm a personal tra trainer and nobody's going to do that for me uh, <laughs> yeah. but uh but now we have it we are living in the most in, in the most exciting time ever in human history and there's more opportunity ever for you to get out there and make a difference in some way so uh yeah it's really the only limit is your creativity you're listening to the life optimized show with dev singh if you're enjoying the show so far remember to leave a rating and review on itunes and subscribe to the podcast you can also keep up with all the episodes and show notes over at the lifeoptimizedshow.com Yeah, no, that's that's really well said, Ted. And I think besides um, besides your creativity being the limit, I think it's also about how how much people are willing to be prepared for something that might happen to them down the track that they're not going to be ready to face as well if they choose ignorance now. Um, and I was talking with this uh, talking with a friend of mine about this the other day. I was saying, you know, in in an effort to be non judgmental it's easy to kind of feel that, well, you know, if someone wants to sw sweep all their problems under the rug and not face things uh, head first, maybe that's okay. Who are we to say? Maybe maybe that's all right. And my friend kind of challenged me and said, um, you know, in fact, this was um, on the previous episode as well. We talked about this. I at this time of recording this one, it's not up yet, so you haven't heard it, but it'll go up soon, uh, probably today. And we were talking about, well, you know what? Most probably they will come there will uh, there will come a point in time in their life where they will have to face some sort of hardship. It might not be as dramatic as what you went through, but it'll be something. And at that point, I think what I extracted from it in retrospect is that it, it comes down to something really simple. It's not just about how well you're prepared to deal with it in terms of your own resilience to overcome a situation so that you can keep yourself together, but how compassionate you can remain in that situation. Because I've seen people who, and I've known people who have gone through tragedies and traumas when they're very young, and they've felt that they've gotten through it all the stronger. But the way they've gotten through it all the stronger is by becoming really insulated, uh, cold, um, very self-absorbed, selfish, always looking out for themselves, and not having that sense of compassion and that sense of, you know, it, it being an imperative human condition to care for other people, as as you mentioned earlier. And that's affected them throughout their lives, not being able to care about other people as a byproduct of, um, you know, or, or in spite of having overcome their tragedies and traumas, they're now out there in the world and they have a great deal of difficulty to open up, to love, um, to, to let people love them. And it, it creates a lot of pain and suffering in their life. Yeah, I'm, I know exactly what you're talking about. 
And uh, you're, you're absolutely right about everyone facing a hardship. Our, every one of us, our parents are going to – if we live long enough, we're going to see our parents pass. And I think that is the one thing that we will all have in common, uh, it, providing we all live long enough. And I've seen that destroy people. And even for me, with what I've been through, and some people would say, whoa, well, what you've been through is worse. How come you're okay? And this guy's dad, who was, you know, he was 80 years old and his 80-year-old dad passed away. I mean, who couldn't have seen that coming, right? I mean, it's mm. pretty obvious he's not going to be around that longer. And he left. And then why did it destroy him? And you're right. I think, uh, I think, Honestly, I think that comes down to, at least for men, it comes down to not really being a man, you know, not really understanding what it means to be a man in our place in the world and being an adult. I think there's a lot of men out there who are boys in a, a man's body. And I know I was like that, so I'm not judging. Uh, and I think we're missing that part. We're missing a lot of strong role models, strong masculine role models in Western society. And yeah. that person you described, I mm -hmm. was exactly that person. I, I think in part that happens where you get very self-absorbed because you have to be. I had to protect myself. It's like a, a defensive posturing against the world. You're like, whoa, yeah. I've had too much already. I can't handle anymore. I can't afford the feelings to to have to care about you. What if you get taken away or what if something happens or what if you hurt me? I don't know if I can handle it. Exactly. And uh, it, it you know, you have to move past that and you have to get stronger and push past that. And we can talk about the different ways that I think uh, helped me. But I think ultimately everyone has to find that on their own, you know, has to find that way of uh, really come getting their strength back. I agree with you. Everyone has their own different strategies that's going to work for them. One thing that I'm really interested in exploring with you is how did you get to a point? Because I, I completely, I would actually be really shocked if you said that, um, you know, as pretty much as soon as this happened, maybe you were grieving for a week and then you got over it and then you just went into this place of service and compassion. Uh, I, I would be shocked. So it's completely understandable that, you know, you did um, you did shut yourself out from the world with this sentiment that you just described. What I'm wondering really is not, not even so much how you dealt with it, but how did you even come to a point of acknowledging that maybe this is not the best uh, posturing to have, as you said? Well, I didn't in, I didn't like the way my life was going. I was successful to an extent with my personal training business, but I had really high aspirations and I didn't understand why I didn't have good relationships with women or got the types of relationships I wanted with women. I didn't understand why I didn't have the types of friends that I thought I should have. I didn't understand why I wasn't successful in business or as successful. I mean, some people would have looked at me and said, hey, man, you're living life. In fact, people did say that. But I had much higher aspirations. Why weren't they coming to fruition? Why weren't mm. they happening for me? You felt like there was a and glass ceiling, I'm guessing. I absolutely, I kept hitting my head on that ceiling. I'm like, why can't I get beyond it? I'm so good at what I do. I spent thousands of dollars, hundreds of hours learning how to be great 
at at uh, doing giving my clients the best information the and changing their bodies and why and and I'm very good at what I do and it really came down to who I was as a person and not owning my emotions not owning my wants not being authentic with people and authentic with myself I I was very scarcity minded meaning I would take I would train anybody where I really should have set boundaries and went after who I thought were the best clients people who uh, who I gave my energy to them I gave well maybe I would give a little bit more than I got back but someone who added to my life and that's who I have in my life now all my clients I listen to them talk for an hour I deal with very successful people and I love it you know that I, I don't have any jealousy about the five Ferraris and the 40 million dollar houses I, I'm so appreciative to be in their presence they're appreciative of me I learn from them they learn from me and uh, you know it's just fantastic but I didn't get that until I realized until I had I, I had to take a hard look in the mirror and say man you there's something wrong with you now what is it and uh, I went through a long period of personal development and trying different things and learning from different people uh, and finally I was able to kind of find my way and uh, I that's when I really got into Brazilian Jiu Jitsu right I tried a bunch of different things and uh, it, I, I went to some uh, you know dating boot camps and learn how to get better at women I think as men uh, we really have to get straight on our relationships with feminine energy with females and uh, really have that under control so we're not out chasing chicks all the time right mm. we have to get that handled and understand our place as a man uh, in society and in relation to f uh, female energy um, by the way I love women you know I uh, I had you know I love my mom my sisters so uh, don't think any it wasn't anything weird or uh, the dating stuff, but uh, I, I think that men, for all you ladies who may not understand that, men really uh, need help with that because uh, we haven't had, at least me and a lot of people in general, we haven't had a lot of strong role models in our lives. My dad was around, but he was always working. Yeah, no, I'm, so, I'm glad you're talking about this, Ted. Um, it's something that I don't, I, I mean, it's not a secret, but I don't talk about it too much. Uh, the fact that as part of my personal development, I also went uh, you know, through I kind of had a rite of passage through the uh, the pickup community and the seduction community, and I learned how to uh, you know talk to women. But really, what I realized ultimately was that it's about personal leadership and learning about yourself. Because as a man, we are um, a, a part of our identity is how we see ourselves in the reflection of our interactions with members of the opposite sex. Um, Absolutely, just as much as a part of our identity is also how we deal with people who. Um, as you mentioned earlier, you know, might have three Ferraris in the garage, and how do we how do we respond to that when we're in a position of serving people who are much more successful than us? How do we make sure that we're not coming from a place of jealousy or scarcity, um, and, and we can hold on to our own individual uh, sense of abundance? And I think that translates very much across a few different areas, but dealing with women is is really very important as well. Um, in that, I know when I uh, lost my mom very tragically and and suddenly, um, you know, I'm not even going to bother comparing it to uh, your experience, but um, it, for me it was very devastating. It took me many years to uh, recover from that. 
it really impacted my relationship with people. It impacted my relationship with myself. I became that closed up, uh, self-absorbed kind of guy that um, that we were talking about. And one thing I realized was that no matter what kind of role models you do have, it, it does ultimately take a village to raise a child. And we're all children, regardless of our age. Um, you know, you're a little bit older than I am, but that, that metaphor still holds true. So I'm kind of wondering, a question that I had, um, that I actually told you as well that I wanted to ask you beforehand, was the experiences that you had, all of them, not just with Jimmy, but just in general um, in your life, how did they impact your relationship with your family? But I guess also the question is, how did they impact your relationship with other people in general? You've already talked a little bit about it, but I'm, I'm quite curious what happened and how did you come to terms with it? Yeah, I mean, it it really, I can't go into all the details, but uh, it really disintegrated our family would be the best way to put it. Uh, I My brother was dead, murdered. My sister was in school at that in at that time she was in university right and uh i was i was in school as well i ended up dropping out i just couldn't bring my mind i couldn't focus and uh by the way my sister was in school during that time and i was she was in school away she was uh in this in the same state we we're in but she was uh, in a different city, so hour, six hours away driving. Right. And so she wasn't around. And uh, I was local, I was going to a local school, and uh, I, I dropped out. And my parents pursued that path where they wanted to make Jim's legacy count for something. But at the same time, they sacrificed the relationships with our family so for a long time 10 years we had uh, a very tenuous family relationship I mean we got together my parents stopped celebrating Christmas because not only was my brother's birthday around that time but we found him in the month of December we we found out what happened to him in the month of December and for my parents it was symbolic uh, that and they didn't want to celebrate Christmas anymore so we stopped doing that and uh, it made me angry but at the same time in retrospect I understand like they went through more than what I did right uh, I'm still here I still have the I, I probably will have a kid <laughs> and uh, you know looking at that now I, I realize what they had to do and they ended up impacting, although I suffered as a result from it, and so did my sister, they ended up impacting more lives. Uh, am I still a little bitter about it? Of course, you know, I, you know, I think we're all self-centered. We all want what's best for us, and it's a little hard to say, oh, well, they're doing something better for everyone. It's like, yeah, but what about me? You know, mm -hmm. is there a little part of me that says that? Yeah, but, uh, you know, so it, it really disintegrated our family, caused a lot of tension between us and, you know, but I, I will say this, now I have the best relationship I've ever had with my dad. You know, we went and watched the, ex we went to the execution together. We have used these opportunities to bond more. And, uh, eh, you know, you, you have to look for 
the opportunity in the adversity because there always is, no matter how terrible what you go through is, there's, there's a way to turn things around so you don't have to be defined by that negativity. But it did really uh, destroy our family for a while. And uh, it, yeah, like I said, I can't get in, I won't get into too many details. My stepmother isn't alive anymore. Uh, my sister isn't alive anymore. So I want to respect all their, I want to respect their memories. And, uh, but it was, it was a very tough time and I felt very alone, uh, for, for years actually. And, uh, during that time after it happened, I hit the lowest point that I had ever been in, in my entire life. And, uh, you know, I lost my biological mother when I was 14. So I already had some things happen to me and mm. some tough things. So I relate to you when you talk about that. Um, but uh, I, I, after what happened to my brother, it really sent me down a path, a very, very dark path. And uh, I don't mean that like I was doing anything bad to other people, but just mentally where I was and what I was doing with my life. And uh, I was never a depressed person. I mean, never a suicidal person, but I really didn't think, I really never... I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And, uh, you know, I really, if someone had something had happened to me and I died, I really didn't see there being uh, a big deal about it. <laughs> you know, frankly, yeah. uh, I, it was a very dark time, but again, you, you pull, you keep going, you know, uh, <laughs> Winston Churchill said, if you're going through hell, keep going. Yeah. And I love as silly and that as it sounds like what what the hell does that mean well it means exactly what it means you keep going yeah look uh, i love um you're actually very eloquent with with all of this and i think at the end of it all i can say is that in my mind i'm thinking i hope people listening to this are not feeling sorry for you but they're actually seeing that um not only have like it's not even as simple as saying that you went through this and you came onto the other side i think what's really inspiring is to know that maybe the other side is actually that's not the point the point is how you handle the journey how you handle that going through hell uh process and and you've obviously had times of handling it pretty badly and now you're handling it really well and ultimately it's all about how um you know how much meaning and fulfillment you can find in your own life um, in not only in spite of everything that's happened to you but also because of everything that's happened to you and almost using those experiences and those traumas as leverage for saying that it contributes to my sense of purpose. I, I, you probably all, always had a sense of purpose uh, or at least you always had a purpose. We all do. We all have some sort of mission, right? I don't but, know about always. Now I do. I, you know, when I was in high school, I didn't feel like I had much of one, but no, but maybe you didn't but, feel that way. But I mean, you know, one way of looking at it is that everyone's kind of born with some sort of higher purpose that they're meant to accomplish, even if that's just to, you know, have children and, and be a better father than their forefathers. Um, but we're not necessarily conscious of it. And then something comes and, you know, smacks us at the back of the head and says, hey, uh, I think you posted something on your Facebook the other day, right? Uh, 40 is the new wake the fuck up. And what was it? <laughs> Yeah, that was something that someone that I interviewed. Uh, actually, I have, I have two podcasts. One's for fitness professionals, and uh, Sean Phillips put that on his Facebook, and I shared it. Oh, okay. And it was forty is the new wake the fuck up, and uh, yeah, wake the fuck up and live. I think something like that. And uh, yeah, 
I think uh, a lot of us have been boys for a long time and we're waking the fuck up and realizing that, oh, hey, you know, now is the time. Uh, the good news is that uh, we know enough about longevity medicine and there's enough orthopedic surgeons to keep <laughs> us going. So yeah. life, uh, li life is, uh, you know, 40 is, you know, we're, we'll all live to 80 or, or longer uh, if we do the right things, barring any genetic um, or, or genetic sort of uh, disadvantages or accidents. So anyway, uh, yeah. And what, yeah, please do not feel sorry for me <laughs> because my life is great. I've endured a lot of hardship more than I've gone into in this uh, interview, but my life is the best that it's ever been. And it's had the most meaning that it's ever had for me before instead of some dumb guy who is trying to get laid or to try to, you know, f try to find the next party or to wallow in my own self despair about why my life isn't as great as uh, what I see on TV, you know, in the reality shows. Uh, I'm actually, I've, I'm making a difference. I'm making a difference in my life. I'm making the, a difference in other people's lives. Dev, you're making a difference in people's lives with what you do. And yeah, uh, I've, and like you said, we, my, both my father and I have used our experiences to leverage us to a higher purpose because that's all there is, you know, and it's gotten us more in touch with who we are. Now, if you would ask me, Hey, would you, would you take all that back for the life of your brother? And, uh, I would say, yes, of course. Right. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I'm able to take what happened and to change it into what I've changed it into. I can't take it back. You know, I can't ever have my brother back. That's impossible. You know, there's n that will not happen. But what I can do is I can transmute all that negative energy, all that feeling like a victim, all that, all that other negative stuff and turn it into something that's bigger than me and uh and to make a difference in the world and uh i want to get more specific on how i want to do that eventually but i know right now that i want to help other people i've been doing that for a long time with my personal training and i want to even help more people so i've got it down to helping people dev your you know your energy around that comes across very authentic and i think if you um, you know you, you've got great leverage for it obviously and with that authenticity and the determination and um, and I also notice how uh, easily you're able to rally people around you to support you. And I think it's not just because of your story. It's also because of how you share that story and the place that you come from of uh, such in inspiration and encouragement that actually inspires people to reach out to you and say, you know, I want to help. I want to be a part of this, even if it's as simple as, um, you know, going to the Jimmy Rice Center uh, for victims of predatory abduction and, you know, donating something or if it's, um, you know, in inviting you to have more conversations and more dialogue or just you know, collecting uh, new friendships along the way. I wanted to ask you, in fact, regarding this, you know, the, how did the trauma um, affect your expectations and perspectives of uh, humanity in general? And then how did you deal with the possibility of becoming infinitely cynical? Because I, I would, you know, nobody would blame you for going down that path. You kind of already started answering that question. What I'm curious about now is, 
um, do you have moments of still wavering back into that darkness where you find yourself, oh no, I'm, you know, I might be tripping back in? And do you have some sort of ritual or some sort of mantra or some meditation that pulls you back out of it? How do you stay focused? Dev, I really believe that humanity is, however imperfectly, stumbling towards a better future. I believe that. I see evidence for it. It's not just a belief, a delusional belief that I have. I see evidence for it. If you read the book by Stephen Kotler, Abundance, you'll see a lot of the problems that we in the, the 21st century go crazy over. We, they're going to be okay, you know? We're going to be okay, right? Thanks science for a lot of that. Mm -hmm. And it may take a tremendous effort on the whole world's part, but things are going to be okay. So I don't ever waver in that belief because there's too much evidence otherwise. And uh, I, I believe that, you know, becoming, uh, I forget how you put it, but infinitely lost in the despair. I believe that we all need to grieve whether whether your dad passed away uh, from old age, whether uh, you know you went through something like you went through where you lost your mom, whether you went through something like I did, uh, or whether it was no big deal at all, whether it was maybe uh, your girlfriend or boyfriend broke up with you. We all need to go through grieving, right? Mm -hmm. No matter uh, uh, the level of the slight that happened to us or the, the negative situation, we'll all go through that grieving. But if you let that turn into that self, and I mean, so many people who haven't had a, a, a big major life event, they get into this self-indulgence where you, I mean, you see it on social media. We do, we've been talking about Facebook. You see people, oh God, you know, it's so horrible. Uh, you know, my boss uh, did something to me. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm no, I can't even think of an example because I unfriend those people or I unfollow them yeah. because uh, there, we have plenty of things to be upset about, but we have even more things to be. Uh, I, I like people who go after things and, and uh, you know, are proactive and making a difference and taking action instead of trying to get attention through putting their negative bullshit out there. I mean, we all have it, wh whatever level it is. So I think it's self-indulgent. And uh, I like the fact that I've been through so much crap in my life because I can tell that to people and they, you know, it's like, oh, well, you, well, you don't understand. It's like, no, I understand. I've been there and I have plenty of negative stuff that have happened to me. It's self-indulgent. So go through your grieving process, then get over it because find a way to turn it into something. Otherwise, you're not working. You're not becoming a, a you're not you're you're becoming a burden on society because yeah. I'll tell you, man, uh, one of the sad, rea sad reality, one of the realities of going through uh, a trauma like what you went through, or what I went through. It's like, man, you still got to pay your bills. You know, life still happens, hmm. you know, and you have to be a part of that. Yeah. So be a good part of that. Be a positive part of that. You know, you can overcome anything. Search for mentors, read books, go to find out what it is that you need to do. Go join a Brazilian jiu-jitsu class. Go to a, a Tony Robbins seminar. Do something. Go, go if, if you don't have money, sub, subscribe to Dev's podcast or subscribe to <laughs> my podcast. 
You know, there is shit out there. There's, there's stuff out there that you can start listening to that will help change your mind. Because if you think, if you think the world's a bad place or your, your life sucks or whatever it is, it's really an issue of mindset. And it's probably mostly what you allow all the information coming into your mind without you thinking about it from the news or, uh, you know, from your crappy friends on Facebook or in real life. And, uh, you know, it's just junk food for your brain. Exactly. And you got to cut that out and find things that are going to help inspire you. Right. And man, I listen to podcasts like, like what you, what you're doing. And you know, it's just, there's so much inspiration out there. That's why I love the whole podcasting thing. It's the new media. It's the new, hey, listen, we're tired of the 17 negative stories to one positive one. I want something that's going to help me get what I want in my life, whether that's more money so I can have a nice car and or whether that's – I talked to a guy the other day. It was for my fitness interviews. He wants to – actually, he's an Australian guy, Travis Jones. All right, uh, yeah. Results oh, – do, do you know who that is? I don't know him personally, but I know who it is, yeah. Right, yeah, Results-Based Fitness, I think is the name of his brand. Mm -hmm. He wants to donate a million dollars a year to his charities. Yeah. Now that is taking action and uh, making something happen. And he has a pretty tough story too. And uh, you should actually maybe get him on here to talk about it. But I was, was inspired listening to him. I felt like, man, I need to do more in my life. You know, so that's the type of stuff. That's the type of information. If you want to change your mindset or you think life sucks or, you know, you're whatever it is you're going through, you need to find those things, those people. You need to surround yourself by people, whether it's in person or through things like what Dev and I are doing uh, to, to help inspire you to live a better life. That's so motivating, man. It's amazing. Uh, th thanks so much for that, Ted. It, uh, you know, I hope you get on stages around the world as well. If you ever come to Australia, definitely. I uh, would love to put you in front of an audience um, to to share your story however you want, but also just to share your message, which is so much more powerful than your story. I want to add to that as well that one of my favorite quotes is by um, Dan Millman, who wrote the book Way of the Peaceful Warrior and a whole bunch of other books. And one thing that he says in, in his book is that it's okay to give up. When, when walking up a hill, you can give up as many times as you like as long as your feet keep moving. Because, <laughs> you know, it's just... Yep, I like it, man. You, you have these dialogues and conversations in your head and, you know, they're, they're telling you to give up and everything. But life goes on, as you said. It is um, it is a bit of a, a treadmill, not in a cynical, negative kind of way. But the point is that the feet under uh, the ground under your feet is going to keep moving. And it's, it's up to you whether you're willing to keep up despite all that rubbish that you have to say to yourself. And sometimes it's okay. Just surrender to your thoughts and, you know, let that conversation pass. But make sure your feet are uh, continuing to move. And the other thing I'll add to that as well is that I think a lot of people who are going through a tough time, um, whether it's because of a really dramatic trauma or if it's something as you know simple as um, they, they failed an exam or, uh, or, or something as simple and universal but also equally painful as going through a breakup and dealing with it, they kind of feel, I know, and, and I've been in this position as well, where once they recover from that trauma, once they've gone through the grieving process and the healing process, then they'll pick themselves up and find a higher purpose. And something that I want to encourage people to really consider is maybe that having that higher purpose to redirect your focus on is actually going to be the best um, healing and the best therapy that you can possibly do. Because when you tell yourself that other people out there in the world are depending on you, 
In fact, the entire world is depending on you to shine your brightest, to do what you need to do to live your life to your full potential. If you're having a bum day or if you're you know, having a cry or, um, or feeling sad, it's all right. You'll allow yourself to have a cry and feel sad, but at least your feet will keep moving up that hill. Yeah, that's powerful, man. I, I really like the way you said that. Absolutely. And uh, for all you people listening out there, uh, I tried, you know, I've been through a lot. I tried the despair and, you know, life sucks. <laughs> I actually tried that, Dev. <laughs> uh, you know, after a while, it's like, oh, you know, okay, life is actually long. It gets, now it feels like it's passing by so quickly because I've got so much work and, uh, you know, so many things I'm working on and all this stuff that's happening. But man, when life sucks, when you think life sucks, it, it, life goes by slow and your life is going to be a lot longer. So try to learn from my mistakes it, or, or try to learn from my experience. It doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't get you far. It's like, yeah, okay. So I'm not getting laid. Women don't be, want to be around me because I'm, you know, kind of a miserable dude. My clients don't want to be around me because I'm a miserable dude. My Some of my cooler friends don't want to be around me because I'm a miserable dude. Uh, the people who I am actually attracting, these crazy chicks and these guys who just want to do drugs and party at clubs and, you know, drink and get wasted and basically you know, self-destruct, hmm. uh, yeah, it's not really, it doesn't get you to a good place. Yeah. You know, you're not going to feel good after all of that. So, and the common uh, denominator the is always you. <laughs> it's common. It's always denominator us. It's always you. Yeah, yeah. We are. Yeah. If you, uh, you want to look at the reason your life isn't the way that you think it should be, uh, grab the nearest mirror, you know, go check out the nearest mirror. Yeah. No, that's well said. Well said. Um, I wanted to ask you something cause I really wanted to ask this because uh, for my own personal uh, benefit as well, but I'm sure a lot of people, or at least some people will relate to this. Uh, it's, it's the last question that I really have, which kind of, um, I think the best way to put it is just the way that I wrote it um, initially, which is how do you work on developing your own identity and not having your identity being completely defined by one particular major trauma in your life? So I guess in your situation, what I would ask is how do you make sure that everything that you're doing is not just you know, Ted Rice is living in the shadows of what happened to him. Or, you know, I went through a near-death experience that sort of shifted my entire direction of my career. And what I do now, how do I make sure that it's not defined in the shadows of what happened to me? I don't want to be just a product of what happened to me. Well, I mean, at one in one way, we are all the product of our experiences and those things, good and bad, that have happened to us. But if you're asking, like, how how can I or it, to give just to talk in my uh, situation? Sure. How how did I make sure I wasn't the guy who is like, oh hey, I'm I'm Ted. You know, my brother was kidnapped and murdered, and you know that guy always talking about that. I mean, I've developed. Uh, uh, I've is that me? No, it's a motorbike outside. Just revving up. Oh man. Sorry about that. Oh, okay. I'll turn no, my. <laughs> I thought it was like a connection. I was like, because sometimes I'll touch the connection here and it'll, uh, it'll, it'll make some noise. So I was just making sure it wasn't me. No. Anyway, someone on their yeah, bike and they um, just walked off and left their bike running. Nice. Bit annoying. <laughs> anyway, I'll turn my mic off and I'll let you talk. Sure. Uh, so, yeah. So in one sense, like I said, we are defined by those things that happen to us, but. 
at the same time, we have to develop ourselves so we have our own identity. And how I've done that is I got really good at personal training. I, I got really good at helping people improve their lives through fitness and nutrition and having them uh, live a healthier life. I also got into Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and did very well in it. I have a brown belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I've done a lot of competitions and that helped me as well give another facet to the person that I am, you know, made me multifaceted. I played in bands. Uh, I played bass in uh, rock bands and, and I played in upright bass in a jazz band. And uh, I think what I'm getting to is that it really comes down to the types of actions that we do and how we develop our character. And, uh, you know, I've traveled the world. I've been to a lot of different places. That's helped me develop. So becoming your own person and having other experiences, other kind of extreme experiences, because traveling is extreme for some people. It was for me when I started traveling outside the, the States um, and, and competing in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. That was pretty extreme for me because I was scared of it when I first started doing it. Uh, the, my first competition, I walked in and some guy got his knee popped. So I was, I was pretty scared, you know? And uh, so anyway, I think it comes down to uh, what Stephen Kotler said, who wrote Rise of the Superman. He also wrote that book, Abundance. I'm a big fan of his. And he talks about flow and how pushing the boundaries of what's comfortable for us will help develop us into this better person, which inspires creativity. So pushing the boundaries in your life, uh, yeah, that, I mean, that's really what it comes down to. I, I've given several examples of what I've done, but it's up to you to push the boundaries. Maybe, maybe you're even more of a Brazilian jiu-jitsu badass than me. And for, for you, that's not a, that's not even a thing, right? That's not a challenge at all. Well, then you have to find what is challenging for you. What are you scared of? You know, something else that was challenging to me is public speaking. And so you have to find areas in life that you're scared of, that you have that, oh, that doesn't sound comfortable. And that's what you go for. And that's, what's going to help you develop into a person that is defined by your experiences. But that thing that you went through that's negative just becomes one of many of the experiences that define who you are. And uh, that's, I've never really thought about it before, but that's how I'd best, that's, that's how I would answer that question. No, that, that's brilliant. Actually, what just occurred to me as you were saying that is that, um, I mean, besides that irritating motorbike outside, I suddenly realized what uh, Elliot Hulse feels like when he's uh, got that garbage truck in his videos. I don't know if you've ever seen any of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Elliot, yeah. sure. Um, but uh, what just occurred to me is that we're always going to be defined by our experiences, but it's kind of up to us to make sure that most of the experiences that define us um, are experiences that we choose as opposed to experiences that just happen. And And that's, I guess, what it means to live a life by design because you're choosing those experiences, you're taking ownership of them. And even the ones that you're not necessarily choosing, like if, you know, uh, traumas and, and major incidents that are painful, you can still choose what you get out of that experience. Um, and thereby, you kind of choose what defines you of those experiences. Yeah, that's uh, beautifully put, Dev. Yeah, exactly. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, Ted, we're, we're just about um, out of time, uh, just to sort of 
keep uh, keep things on clock. I've got so many more questions that I'd love to ask you, and you know, I hope we can uh, keep a kind of casual conversation going offline as well, and maybe in a few months' time uh, have you back on the show to yeah, see where things are at. Uh, I'm just wondering if once again you could just speak very very briefly about uh, the Jimmy Rice Center and how people can support it. Um, I had a look at it last night and uh, you know gave, gave my support as much as I could. And I, I'm, I would really love people to find out more about this and be able to support how they can. Yeah, uh, they can go to jimmyrice.org and that's Jimmy, J-I-M-M-Y-R-Y-C-E dot org. So jimmyrice.org, but the rice is spelled with a Y. And uh, what we do is we donate bloodhounds to law enforcement agencies to help find missing people. Of course, we're particularly uh, passionate about helping missing children. And that's the main thing that we do. We, uh, my parents have already passed laws and the Jimmy Rice Act. And I would for, uh, yeah, I mean, we, like you said, Dev, you give what you can. I think the act of giving is the most important. If it's a dollar, $10, $15, $100,000, whatever it is that you can give, the fact that you give something uh, means a lot to us. And we use it strictly for the upkeep of the site and to donate bloodhounds. So uh, that's that's where they can find that. Cool, that's and, great. Uh, and what about yourself? Where can people find more about you? Yeah, what I uh, with my podcast, it's Alpha manproject.com and I have uh, my personal training information on there I have my podcast information on there uh, and that's really the hub of everything that I do for right now so it's alphaman.com uh, alphamanproject.com and uh, but you can find me on Facebook and, and Twitter all my links are on my website please connect with me I love to connect with like-minded people who are interested and making a difference in the world, so yeah, I, I can I can definitely vouch that you're uh, you're very approachable and accessible, which is uh, which is great. And um, so, uh, Ted, one question that I ask every guest that comes on the show um, that I want to ask you as well before we wrap up, and I'll make sure those links are in the show notes as well. By the way, um, is considering all of your experiences in your life and everything that you've learned along the way, which has been a tremendous amount, what are your top three tips? for someone looking to optimize their uh, business leadership and life in general? Business leadership and life in general. Okay, first one, find out what you're passionate about, okay? Find out your mission, find out what you're a hell yes to in your life and do that. <laughs> hell and yes, anything I like it. that is, I got that from Trip Lanier and I love the way he put that. Uh, do things that you're a hell yes to in your life. It's so simple. Everything that comes your way, you're like, okay, is this a hell yes? Yes? Okay, cool. If it's a no, then you have to think for a second whether it's really worth your time. Hmm. That goes with business opportunities. That goes with the friends in your life. That goes with everything, right? Hey, do you want to go see this movie? Is it 300 Rise of an Empire? Hell yes. That would be my <laughs> hell yes for me. I awesome. know some people aren't going to be into that. But uh, uh, the second thing, take care of your body. Exercise, take care of your health. One thing that we didn't get into, which uh, we maybe we can get into some other time, uh, maybe when I'm back, mm -hmm. is that a lot of people think that 
stress or depression or all these words, happiness, are just like states of mind, right? They're just states of mind. And one of the things that's helped me out is that you can influence your mind because your mind is an, an expression of your brain physiology, okay? That's not, <laughs> that's not uh, for those of you who aren't science-minded people, that's not like something I read in a new age uh, <laughs> you know, book that's, I, I studied biology in school and I'm really into science a lot. And there's neurochemicals and hormones that affect the way you feel. And, uh, I used to train my dad when he was going through some real hard times, he would be in a real grumpy mood. But after I dealt with him, obviously I tried to keep, he would be so hard to deal with I, and I'd train him and he would just go through this transformation where he's like feeling good now because it's hard to feel bad when you're using your body and all these physiological processes are happening and hormones are getting released. You feel good when you exercise, hmm. okay? And when you eat healthy, you feel good. And our bodies, our physiology, it's, uh, I believe that our physiology affects our mind way more than the other way around. So in other words, if you're overweight, if you're eating uh, McDonald's every day or whatever crappy fast food you have in Australia and you don't exercise at all, you of course you're not going to be happy. You haven't given your body the things. That's like saying, wow, why doesn't my car run well? Well, you haven't changed the oil in three years, you know? Actually, three years your engine would probably blow up. but. <laughs> You know, or you've been using the cheap gas when you should have been using the good gas and you don't get any tune-ups for it. Of course, your car is going to run like crap. So take care of your body. It will, if you learn how to exercise and eat well, it's going to change everything for you. And that's been one of the things that helped me through some of the darkest times of my life. And, uh, and it helps a lot of people. Now, the third thing would be find out who you are and start putting it out there. So the first one was you know, really uh, uh, only do things that are your hell yes to, but start adding back to the world, getting out there and making a difference. I think like we've talked about during the, your show, it really comes down to having that higher purpose and making a difference in people's life. So find out how to, how to do that, whether it's just in your immediate life, whether on it's on a bigger scale. So there you go. I hope those were three good ones for you. Amazing, amazing, Ted. I absolutely agree with all of them. And um, I think, you know, we could go off on several tangents of conversations just talking about each of those things. Um, and, and hopefully we will over a period of time. But look, I just want to say thank you again for being on the show. And if there's anything that, um, that I can do for you, uh, please let me know. And definitely when you do come down to Sydney, uh, you know, you've you got a place to, uh, uh, to crash. You've got a tour guide uh, waiting to show you around. So, uh, yeah, don't hold back. Awesome. awesome. Won't happen this year, but you know what? Next year, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to have to give myself a vacation, so I might take you up on that, Dev. Cool. If I make it out to Australia, I'll definitely take you up on that. So, thanks. Appreciate that. No, awesome. Um, yeah, thanks again for your time, Ted. We'll keep in touch. You got it. If you enjoyed this episode of The Life Optimized Show, remember to visit thelifeoptimizedshow.com. Leave a rating and review on iTunes and help spread the word with all your friends and networks.